Welcome to the Chronically Courageous Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Howard. Since I was a child, I've had chronic pain, yet was told time and time again that it was all in my head. So I pushed through my symptoms and I built a successful career until I found myself crouched on the floor of my office, barely conscious. After finally getting a diagnosis, I had to learn how to embrace the life I've been given as fully and happily as possible. Now, it's my mission to help you do the same. Join my guests and I each week for inspiring stories and tips on navigating the complexities of chronic illness. Together, I believe we can move forward with courage, passion, and purpose. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Chronically Courageous. Today's guest is Vera Lee. She's an ordinary woman who has shown extraordinary strength. She has harnessed the combined power of her creative energy with a powerful determination to overcome immense adversity in her own life, including several disabilities, chronic illness, multiple near-death experiences, domestic violence, and sexual assault. Vera Lee discovered that she could use her unique artistic abilities as a form of communication through her recovery at a time when she was unable to find words to verbalize her trauma. Years later, she again lost her ability to speak after having a life-saving treatment to keep her airway open by paralyzing her vocal cords. She again turned to her art as a modality for both communication and healing. Today, Vera Lee is here to share her personal story and how it inspired her to start the Why Me movement and the podcast by the same name. I met Vera Lee through an online personal development seminar and someone had posed a question to the group asking what their favorite podcasts were. And I was so honored that Vera Lee listed my podcast amongst many other much more well-known ones as one of her favorites. And we began communicating through social media and I followed her chronic illness journey and it actually led me to discover the name and the cause for one of my symptoms that had been a mystery for most of my life. So I'm very grateful to her for that. So we'll get into that more later, but for now, I would like to welcome Vera Lee. Welcome, Vera Lee. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's lovely to be here for your listeners and also to be connecting directly to you. We have gone back and forth quite a bit on social media, but to be able to speak to each other directly, it's wonderful. And I do love your show. Oh, thank you so much. So sweet. And I love your voice. It's going to be such a pleasure for everyone to listen to your beautiful voice. So thank you. The voice I almost didn't have. (laughs) The irony of that, right? Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. When, when did you first realize that something was different about you? Yeah, it's, it's an, it's a very good question, Bonnie, because for me, I've always been different and I realized that at a very, very early age. And I, in this time and space in my life, I have a number of illnesses that I've worked through throughout my whole life. I was born with certain disabilities. And the very first one is one that affected my life greatly and yet not many people know about, which was a bone disease called Osgood Sladders. Now, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a tennis champion who was also an amazing artist. Mm. And 
fast forwarding to now, I am an amazing artist through a very different journey. My bone disease actually was a massive, massive um, roadblock to me becoming a tennis champion and I did to a certain level. However, what I discovered was that my breathing issues were actually even more of a roadblock than mm. that bone disease. And throughout my life from, I was probably about 10 years old when I really was impacted by not being able to breathe like everybody else, not by not being able to last going, going for a, a run, I could do a hundred, two meter sprint, sorry, a hundred meter or a 200 meter sprint. And if I had that time then to recover, cause you could almost hold your breath that long, almost right, <laughs> and you could run off right. anabolic energy for about that long, 200 meters was pushing it, but I managed to be able to do it. Sure. But if you put me into anything longer, I just couldn't do it. Mm. And I was one of those kids that I swam a lot because my parents understood that I had these respiratory issues and people were saying, look, you know, put her into swimming. That'll help. That'll help. And it certainly did help my overall conditioning. However, throughout my life, whatever I tried, I knew that I was very, very fit. I knew that I was very capable in just about any sport I put my hand to. However, I also knew that I had that limitation and it got in the way every single time. I just wasn't able to achieve everything that I knew I had the potential to. And I was told from a very young age that I had asthma. Mm. Now, asthma is a bit of a catch-all. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and what I mean by that is that a lot of people who have asthma also have other underlying conditions. Now, for myself, I was actually born with vocal cord dysfunction. Vocal cord dysfunction is a really big word. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's okay. Vocal cord dysfunction is a really big word to describe the vocal cords which open and close to allow us to speak. When they don't work the way that they're supposed to, they can clamp shut. Now, clamping shut also closes our airway. And a lot of people don't quite understand the link that when our vocal cords are opening and closing to allow us to speak, if they fully close, that that is actually affecting our airway. And so for me, I, I had gone through years and years of treating my asthma with all of the normal types of puffers and different things. And I seemed to be getting worse and worse. Mm. And no matter how fit I got, and I was super fit. I was able to keep up with the triathletes through my uni course and all sorts of stuff. And yet, again, as soon as we got to anything that was an extended, needed me to keep going, I just couldn't do it. Hmm. And it was interesting because I, I did a physical education, Bachelor of Applied Science and um, physical education teaching course. And I couldn't do the 10-minute run. Hmm. And it was a prerequisite. It was a mandatory component. Hmm. And... I took five years to do that course, worked my way through it wow. while I worked on the side. And we got to the last year and I was one of their highest achievers and yet I couldn't do this darn 10-minute mm. run. Unbelievable. Not surprising <laughs> that, time... that you're one of the highest achievers though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a very determined person yes. and we, we will talk about this a little bit later. For me, going through adversity 
and going through challenges and constant challenges like this, you know, every single time I would try and join in with everybody, I had these roadblocks that, oh, my body would just like hit a brick wall. Yeah. This was it. You can't keep going, Vera. doesn't matter how much you want to you're not going to be able to do it. We are going to stop you mm. and you're going to have to sit there and, <gasps> uh, you know, for five right. minutes to get back up. And so I learned to become very mentally in tune with what I wanted and how to think outside, far, far outside the box mm. as to how to achieve it. And yeah, I, I didn't even have my vocal cord diagnoses or anything at that point in time. And they, thankfully, they said, look, you're, we're not going to hold you back just because you can't do this 10 minute run. Right. Even though it's mandatory, we're going to tick you off anyway. I was mm. like, thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Boy, that's scary stuff. Yeah. So you, you, there was one point where you completely lost your voice. Talk to us about mm. that. What did that feel like? What was going through your mind and, mm. and you know, and how did you ultimately get that diagnosis? Yeah, um, it's interesting because there were two points in my life where I lost my voice. The first time I metaphorically lost my voice mm. and that was that was during one of the worst sexual assaults that my husband performed and during our marriage. And I was so shocked and violated and in such severe pain and it was a horrible, horrible moment. There had been many other moments, but this particular moment was just, I can't explain it except to say that my soul literally ripped in half. And at that moment, I lost my ability to verbalize all of the traumas that I had gone through and that I then continued to go through until I got out of that relationship. That also affected my conditions. Yeah. And so I got a lot worse. I deteriorated health-wise so, so much. And I found my voice through artwork. I found that I was able to actually communicate through that artwork the things that I couldn't at that time verbalise. And once I started to do that, then I started to write all of the things that I needed to get out. So I was using a combination of my visual artwork, which was being shown around and exhibited and helping to create the awareness because for me, that's what's behind all this. It's all about mm. creating awareness for other people. It's about helping other people to know the things that go on and how we can work through that, how we can all get through whatever challenges we're thrown. Yes. And then I decided to write and then I would use a combination of the artwork and the writing and then I would speak and found my voice to speak. Mm. So when I then got to a point where I lost my voice physically, thankfully, and I say thankfully for me, I had no warning that that was going to happen. And yet, thankfully, I already had these methods that I was well versed in, in still communicating with people. Mm. So that moment is a, a very vivid moment still in my mind. I had finally got my diagnosis for vocal cord dysfunction, which was a huge relief moment. I was sitting there, I'd finally found my professor and the gentleman who did finally diagnose me, his name is Professor Philip Barden at Monash Medical Centre. And I owe so much of my 
improvement and quality of life to what he was researching, which was specifically vocal cord dysfunction and eosinophilic asthma. And this was the first time that I'd heard the word eosinophilic asthma. I didn't know what that was either. And it turns out that that was a blood disease that I've been born with and is the underlying cause of a lot Hmm. of my other conditions. Hmm. And so it was interesting that he discovered that he had discovered this different way of testing for vocal cord dysfunction. I had actually diagnosed myself about five years prior to that moment. And the doctors at that time did a test that was the only test they had at that point in time and said, no, you don't have it. And it turns out I I did have it. I had one of the most severe cases ever noticed or recorded. And yet their test at the time didn't test for the type of vocal cord dysfunction that I had. So the type that I had once we did this particular real-time scan of my airways when I was breathing showed that essentially if you take a straw and you squash it closed, that was what my airway looked like. So it was no wonder that he said to me, I don't know how you're standing. I don't know how you're Mm. not flat on the floor. I really don't understand. You have so much determination to just keep yourself going and I said yeah I do because what other choice is there I would be flat on the floor and I would be even in an even worse situation in my life than I currently am at that point in time I would walk three steps though and have to sit down or I would collapse and Mm. so I was hypoxic constantly I Mm. was constantly in the low 70s to low 80s in my blood blood oxygen saturation and insane yeah, try, trying to trying to function physically in addition to mentally and then I had so much emotional trauma I was still working through. Mm-hmm. I look back and I think it's no wonder that everything in my body was just shutting down. I was yeah. just having one thing after another after mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. So you saw a definite connection then between the, the trauma and the illness? I absolutely did because not only was my emotional well-being completely overwhelmed, so was my physical and so was my brain that was working overtime saying, look, until I got that diagnosis or those two new diagnoses, which really were underpinning just about everything else that was going wrong with my body, until then it was like oh I have no quality of life I Mm. have a young child I'm I'm stuck in bed most of the time I'm in hospital so much more than I'm out of it (laughs) I had had at that point in time I'd been on huge doses of prednisolone for about 11 years and that was helping to keep me alive but it was also creating so many other issues yeah And so it was a relief to get the diagnosis. It was a relief to be hearing from this man that was leading the world in research in these areas. And yet the next words were, at the moment, there's no treatment and no cure. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) I think, gosh, so much of what you said resonates, that whole odyssey of going to doctor after doctor and then saying, I I have no idea what's wrong with you or misdiagnosing or, you know, it's all in your head and it's psychological and having these strange things that are really scary happen to your body and not having answers behind them. And I think now, now might be a good time for me to tell my audience that 
the thing that you helped me figure out about myself was that I too have vocal cord dysfunction. And sometimes when I'm, sometimes it's just a minor irritation. I'll be speaking and like my voice doesn't project or it starts cracking in and out. But other times it's terrifying. I've had, and my, my family remembers this. I mean, just one situation that stands out. I was in a restaurant and we were eating and all of a sudden I just, I, I couldn't breathe. My entire throat closed up. And I was making these horrible sounds, gasping for air, like, and my family was terrified. Everyone in the restaurant stopped what they were doing. They were looking for a doctor. They didn't know if they should call 911. And I didn't didn't know what to do. I was so terrified. I don't know what possessed me to do this fairly. This is actually really a kind of a, there's a funny part to this story. The story in itself is not funny, but I was, I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. And my first instinct was all I wanted to do was get out of my body because I was so scared. So I, I started climbing onto the chair and then onto the table. <laughs> uh-huh. And I don't, I don't know what I thought that would accomplish, but mm. my, my parents were like, what are you doing? And everybody was, you know, obviously the entire restaurant at that point was staring at this girl that was making strange noises and climbing on the table. But yeah, but eventually it started to open back up and, you know, I still had a hard time breathing for a while after, but it was, you know, and that's happened a few times in in public too. And when I was driving, it's happened and I had to pull over. So I'm sure you understand, but I owe it to you that I finally figured that, that piece of my puzzle out. And as it turns out, vocal cord dysfunction is pretty common in one of the conditions I have, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So thank you for revealing that part of my my little puzzle. <laughs> I will always be thankful for that. You're welcome. And this is the thing, the more that we talk and people hear our stories, the more people will go down that path of discovering these extra things. And for me, like I said, I, I was a seeker. <clears throat> and there goes my voice because my voice will drop in and out and right. as well. I understand. I yeah I was a seeker and so I didn't basically there was a moment that that day when I said to the people I have vocal cord dysfunction I'm pretty sure of it I want you to test me and they tested me and they didn't um, they didn't think I had it because of the type of tests they did that day those specialists said to me and I was about just before my 30th and they said Vera, you have what we call difficult to treat asthma, not responsive to conventional treatment, and you'll likely die before you're 30. Mm. And so they basically gave me a death sentence, and I'd already been a seeker, but I became a really good seeker. I bet you did. I bet you did. They didn't know who they were telling that to. They didn't. They didn't. And I literally said to them, no, I do not accept that. I will not accept that. I have a young child. I have so much to offer in this world and my voice matters and I'm going to make sure that I am here to share it. And I have, it was a hard road though. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. But one worth fighting for. Absolutely. You're, you're so incredible. I just, you know, I think sometimes we're given these gifts. I'm saying in air quotes because because we, we are put here to make a difference and to 
raise awareness and to help others that are going through these similar struggles and to give other people that hope. So I think you and I are uh, like sisters. I mean, we're just, you know, we're kind of on that same exact path and, you know, and now you're a podcaster too and doing, you know, a a similar type of podcast, which we'll talk about later, but um, it's just, it's really, really amazing and inspiring to see how you're moving through this, this world and what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, it is. And and I often say to people, I mean, my, my movement is based on a few things. It's based on understanding that adversity creates so much growth yes. that you can then use to not only your advantage, but to the advantage of other people. Mm-hmm. I also go off three words with the ICE acronym, which is inspire, connect and empower. And what I learned through the domestic violence and sexual assault recovery process that I went through is that there are so many ways you can do that. You can use your voice literally by speaking. You can use your voice through writing. You can use your voice through visual art. And they're the three mediums that I used at different times because I didn't have all of those at, at each time. I also find it interesting that for me, a lot of my life has been about using my voice. I mean, I was a, I was a teacher before I was trained as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I was a tennis coach, um, which was following on from my father, who was following on from his father. We're born natural teachers and educators. And so for me to get into physical education teaching, I'd already been teaching and helping people for a long time. And one of the interesting things I used to love and not quite understand as, as a teenager was that I was coaching all of these kids and people Um, people up into elderly people the age didn't matter but so often I had these kids that I was coaching and the parents would ask me all these things about life and I'd be like why are you asking me I'm just this little (laughs) teenager coaching your kids and they recognized so much of that natural teaching and Mm. just natural life experience and I think that determination because as I said right from a youngster I knew I was different. I could never seem to do everything that everyone else took for for granted. You know, I couldn't breathe the same. I I couldn't keep running the same. I couldn't play the sports and keep going like everybody else. And so So to me, it was, yeah, it was almost like, look, I can excel at everything I want to, but only for a short time. Right what's that all about? Right. It's like, why, why is it so easy for everyone else? And why is it so difficult for me? And I I so relate to that. I I dreaded uh, physical education class because all all those exercises, I, I, and, and it's funny because I, as I got older, I got very much into working out and going to the gym. And I think I was trying to compensate for what I couldn't do when I was a child. Now that I'm just kind of making that association right now in this moment. But when I was younger, I, I hated when we had to run the mile. I was so out of breath. I would almost feel like there was blood in my mouth. Like I couldn't, I would just get like this weird metallic like taste in my mouth and it, and not being able to breathe. And it was, it was torture. And, you know, and the PE teacher would be like, come on, you can do this. And I'm like, no, I can't. (laughs) I may want to, but I can't. Um, So yeah, I completely understand that and not knowing why, but um yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's difficult not knowing. That's, mm-hmm. that's, I think, the hardest part. And you just reminded me of something then. When I was in year 11 and 12, I was probably at my peak fitness state. And so I was able to push through 
a lot more than I had at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I, I was doing this triathlon run and I had a friend who said, oh, hey, I saw you when you were running up the hill, whatever, doing your triathlon. I was like, oh, how did I look? Because I knew I felt like terrible. And he goes, you look like you were dying. I said, well, I felt like I was. <laughs> but that was how hard it was. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I understand that. So through all of this, I mean, you've, you've been through it and, you know, and another thing we have in common, and I've never actually said this on my podcast and I'm, you know, in my mind debating whether I should, but it's like, you know what? I just kind of want to put it out there because yeah. I can help more people that way. I too was a survivor of domestic violence and, and sexual mm -hmm. violence. So, mm -hmm. um, so I understand that, that journey as well, but being that you've gone through all that you've gone through and all this adversity, you are so incredibly optimistic. You're just this beautiful light in the world. How, what, what's behind that? What drives you to, you know, to get up and keep going through all of this? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And that is something that I put down to the why me question. And this is why my movement is called why me movement. This is why my podcast is called the why me podcast. I believe that with any adversity that we suffer, it's at the time going to feel awful. It's going to feel really difficult. And we need to dig really deep down to try and get through it. Most of us find ourselves asking that question at some point where we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're like, I don't know how to do this. Why me? Why is this happening to me? And I spent so much of my life looking at everybody else and saying, they can breathe without trying. They can run as long as they want. Why can't I, you know, why am I the person that's got this? And then on top of it, I had the domestic violence and, and sexual assault with my ex-husband. I was like, why me? Like, again, why? I've already got this. I've already got that. Like, there's all these physical things I was already dealing with. I also knew I was always different socially to everybody else. And so I never quite, apart from my small group of friends, I never quite fit in with the normal general crowd. So I had that and I was like, where do I actually fit in in this world? However, what I'd learnt and discovered was every time I would come with a group of people, they would leave calling me the eternal optimist. You inspire me. Yeah. And every time I would talk, they would cry. Mm. And I started observing what was going on and I would ask people. I've never been afraid to ask people the hard questions. And I used to get in trouble for that when I was younger. Right. <laughs> Because that's rude. You don't say that or people don't want to talk about that. Yeah, it's stuff. too much, right? I, it's I'd too say, much, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people don't want to feel confronted. And yet what I discovered going through, I, I went through a group where we used art therapy to recover from the trauma of the domestic violence and often sexual assault goes hand in hand with domestic violence. And some of my pieces were confronting because that was me giving a voice visually to what I couldn't yet speak about. Mm. And a lot of places were saying that they were going to refuse showing that work with the rest of the exhibition. Mm. And so we had a lot of discussions behind the scenes about, well, why? Well, because it's confronting. Well, what's wrong with confronting? Right. Oh, we don't want our patrons coming in and getting upset. But if they're getting upset, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. It's touching home somewhere. Yeah. 
And so that's actually going to help that person, A, become aware that they've got something that they perhaps would like to deal with. And secondly, they're in the right places to ask for help because all the places these exhibitions were going were places where help was available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I learned that I had this ability, and particularly when I did find my actual physical voice, I had this ability to share. I wasn't afraid to share what had happened eventually once I dealt with it myself. And in doing that, you know, I'd, I'd had so much practice in inspiring myself to live because when you have a choice to live or die, which I haven't even talked about that moment yet, but mm. when you're in that space and you have that choice and you make the choice that you want to live, you know, I just knew that I had so many people I could help and it's, it's in my inherent nature. I've been a teacher all my life. And so I really decided to step into that and bring a voice, first of all, for the people who hadn't yet found theirs, like I hadn't through my recovery. And then when I did, I understand that journey where you need to work it out with yourself first to heal, to then be able to speak. And so now I bring a voice and a platform for other people to speak about those things that they're not yet ready to speak about. And what that allows is them to think and relate and go, yes, yes, I went through that. And so often they will tell me, I now have the courage to tell my own story. And that means everything to me Mm. because all of our stories are important. All of us have a voice. We all have a story that matters. Yes, and sometimes it's about holding that space to allow that to happen. Absolutely. I think it's beautiful that you're doing that. And, uh, and it's so healing, right? I mean, it's, it's so, so mm-hmm. healing. I think the, the more that we tell our stories and share and find that we're not alone. There's so many other people that have been through similar things in life, maybe not the exact same situation, but, you know, so many similar traumas and, and things and yeah. when we have a voice, we give other people the, like you were saying, we give them kind of the, um, like a pass to go ahead and share their story as well, which is amazing. Yeah, we do. It's, it's, it's like giving permission, really. Mm-hmm. And I often say to people, I give you permission to talk about this. Sometimes yeah. that's all that they need right. is to feel that they have the permission without judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the without judgment part's really important. Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because like you said, so many times people think it's it's too much. You know, you're, yeah. these questions you're asking are a little bit too deep. And this conversation you're having is is more than, than you should be sharing. And I've always been like that too. I've always been a wide open book. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I get that. And yeah, and it's it's great to connect with people like you who are of that same mindset because I too was that different child. I mean, I feel like I keep saying me too, me too, but yeah, there's a lot lot of parallels there. And I have to believe that, you know, a lot of people in this chronic illness community, we, we do have certain traumas in our early lives that then lead to a buildup of illness that manifests in our bodies. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it so does that. You know, I learned through that phys ed degree about psychosomatic mm-hmm. symptoms. Mm-hmm. And in sport, it is very apparent. And as an elite sports person, and I did still become an elite tennis right. champion. It just wasn't the elite level I could have reached because of my physical disabilities. And so knowing, you know, I'd push through, push through, push through. And yet I'd learned a lot about the psychology of sport. I'd learned a lot about how your mindset 
will affect your physical ability. I'd learnt that on that pressure point where you have the opportunity to save match point and still be in the game, that you had to learn what to focus on at the time to then still have your body be able to fulfil the skills needed to save that match point and then have another opportunity to win the championship, you know. So there's an awful lot of psychology involved in sport. And what I also learnt, and particularly through the years as I progressed through all of my trauma, as I then got even more trauma with my vocal cord dysfunction and asthma, because at one point that put me in a coma and they didn't believe that I could survive it. I did survive it. And yet, so all of this stuff was happening. And what I recognized was that the more that was going on in my outside world, the more overwhelmed that I was feeling, didn't matter how determined I was, these things were manifesting in all of these extra conditions. And they were exacerbating the current conditions Mm -hmm. I did have. And there was always this thing that I would rock up to emergency. I, I literally couldn't breathe I, I just because with the vocal cord dysfunction you can't breathe in it's when it's on the in breath that the the, the mm. airway closes up with asthma it's on the out so your lungs are struggling to push the air out and so I was suffocating Ugh. both ways and it's bad enough suffocating one oh way gosh. I can tell you and when you've got both ways you just can't get air in oh. or out so breathing wasn't even a, a one-piece thing for me it was every breath mm. in and then every wow. breath out. And so all of the years of everything going wrong got me to a point where that was my life. It was every breath in and every breath out. So my quality of life wasn't even about anything but surviving and trying to be a mother mm. to my child because I was a single mother from him being five months old or something as early as that. And so I, I really was very, very in tune with my emotional state and how much that affected and exacerbated these Mm. episodes as I used to call them episodes or or attacks and often rocking up to emergency oh she's just got asthma it's just asthma and I couldn't talk so often at the time but afterwards I'd be like no you all need to change it's asthma, not it's yeah. just asthma. Don't day and play this. Do you know how many people die right. of asthma every oh day gosh. still across mm. the world? And then when I got my vocal cord dysfunction diagnosis, I was like, oh, yay, they're not going to just dismiss me as having asthma. Well, then it was, well, what's vocal cord dysfunction? Because nobody knew what it was. And so it was like, oh, so I used to rock up with a, a whole heap of papers oh. that I'd every time I was prepared, I was like, okay, this is my emergency bag. Next time I'm um, going to the ER, which happens so often, here you go. And I just hand them right, the papers, read right, it, read right. it, read it, you know, deal with me and read it and just oh help gosh. me get through it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so it's, it's not easy. When you have something rare like that, I, and I get that, I mean, every time I go to any doctor's appointment, surgery, whatever, I, ER, I will tell every doctor, every nurse, every anesthesiologist, I'll tell anyone who will listen yeah. what I have because so many times, you know, there's, it's gotten better over the past couple of years, but there's many times none of them know, you know, they don't have a clue about what is dysautonomia, what is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you know, these various things that I have, yeah. so... Yeah, and it's not their fault that they don't know because 
you know, they've got so much they're trying to deal with. And as we know, as human beings, there are so many different mm-hmm. things that can and will go wrong. And so it's really about focusing on what's important to you. And, and in those moments, and I'll, I'll talk about that moment of the coma because yeah. it, it is relevant. That is where I lost my voice physically for a two-year mm. period. So I'd received the diagnosis. They had been trialing some treatments, and one of these treatments was to have Botox injected into one of your vocal cords. Now, what that did or what Botox does is it relaxes the muscles. And so it would relax that vocal cord. It essentially paralyzed it, and that would keep my airway open, which was a wonderful thing. I woke up from that procedure the first time I got it and off oxygen, Mm -hmm my oxygen saturation in my blood was at 100%. I'd never even had that on oxygen before. And I have a photo that I took um, because my dad had sort of gone away while the procedure was happening. And I took a photo and I'm like, look, 100% saturation. I'm not even on oxygen. Uh, I was just so excited. Well, less than 24 hours later, I was fighting for my life because my airways had swollen up as a reaction from the trauma of the needle nothing any of us expected had reacted so badly that my throat had closed off completely and i was actually feeling my body shutting down and dying and i'd had a lot of near-death experiences up to that Mm. moment this one was very very different because i actually felt that dying process happening and so here i am lying on a hospital bed waiting for the anaesthetist to put me into an induced coma so that they could fly me down to Melbourne, which was the only place with an ICU capable of keeping me alive. They didn't believe that I could even make the flight, and yet they made that decision to try. And going under and before the blackness overcame me, I had a feeling that I knew that I was going to be okay. I had a vision of my grandfather, who I'd actually never met in person, and he said those words to me, he said, you're going to be okay, Vera. And I just had that trust and that knowing I was going to get mm-hmm. through it. Now, the interesting thing is I went under knowing that, confident. I've gotten through everything else so far. I held on way longer than I think most people could have even in that lead up to that coma because I just somehow kept forcing the air in and out. And that comes back to all of my physical conditioning and and having to fight Mm -hmm. so hard. That was all a moment leading up to that moment to keep me alive until we could get to the hospital to get, you know, to get everything happening. And I just knew. And yet my family were told to say their last goodbyes. It was not expected that I would survive this. And so when I did wake up and then when I did breathe on my own, once they took the tube out, because that was their next worry, well, she could stop breathing and then we've got to try and get her back under and that's really hard. And, you know, and everything, everything changed. But yeah, in that moment, I knew that I was going to be impacting so many people by sharing the power of your story and how that can inspire mm-hmm. other people and how sometimes that's what makes the difference yeah. with us going, it's all too hard and oh, no, I can do this. This person, they've gone through all of this and I can relate to either some of it or all of it. It's, it's just relating to one little thing to go, oh, I get that. I can right. do this because yeah. we all can. That's amazing. You know, and yet, 
I didn't have a voice for two years. How was I going to mm-hmm. achieve this? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, I love that, that you're, yeah. you're basically turning your, your mess into your message, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there was a lot yeah. of mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it takes a lot to get us to, you know, really pay attention. I know for me, it certainly did. So if you, I mean, looking back, if you could, if you could change any of this, would you? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question because I, I've looked back a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have had lots of things I would have told you I wanted to change. I wanted yeah. to change the emotional state that I was in when I met that man who became my husband because mm-hmm. I would never have married him. And yet I've always maintained that I would go through all of that horrible stuff to get the child that I have. Oh, my child is amazing. So resonate with that. Yeah. I, so that's, that's what I always say. I say that I would never change any of it because I have my, I have my one and only my, my boy, my light, my, my love, my heart. So yeah. 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 It's that bond between mother and child. And particularly when you've been through a lot of trauma and unfortunately for those moments when he was here, there was a lot of trauma that he was a part of, not not directly, but it was all that indirect stuff that was going on that babies actually do pick up on that. It's very obvious in their behavior. hundred percent. Yeah. So there was a lot going on there. So that, that bond is amazing. And I think the only thing that I would actually change would be, it took me a while to speak up. Yeah. So as a child, I was very shy. Mm -hmm. I'm talking a very young child. And I really didn't find my voice fully until halfway through high school. Now, I'd found it in the tennis arena because that was my thing. I'd found it in the coaching because that was my thing. I'd found it in our retail business, which was all about tennis, because that was my thing. So in my areas of expertise, I was fine. If anyone asked me anything academic, I was fine. I found my voice. What I took me so long was to find who I was and what importance I had to share with others in outside those arenas right and so that's probably the only thing that I would change finding myself and my voice a little earlier however ask me that today I know it was all part of the journey I know that if I'd found a voice back then it wouldn't be the same voice I have now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything I've been through, everything I've endured, all of that really tough stuff that took so much effort just to stay here, that's what makes me me now. That's what allows me to understand when people are in that same position. That's what allows me to help people through those really difficult adversities and the flow on from that, you know, being able to then share their story. Yeah. Well. I am very happy that you that you were so determined to fight through it because I think you're remarkable and you are just just such a beautiful human. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy to have you here and I'm so honored to have you on the show and your story is incredible and I can't wait to share it with everybody. Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie. And and as you know, I'm going to be interviewing you on my podcast. Yes, soon. I can't wait. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited I to hear a lot more about your story too. And and this is it. Um, I mean, you said earlier we were like sisters, and we really are. 
And when you start sharing your stories and you start finding these things that you can relate to, people from all across the world, and this is what I've discovered through my podcast, I'm connecting to people from so many different places in the world and it's like we're old friends. It's just we have so much in common and Mm -hmm. the human spirit is so wonderful in all of its mess and all of its coming through that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that connecting that's so important. And like you said earlier, we're not alone. No. Sometimes it's just about finding our people. Right. And I think when we go through these difficult things, we really find out what is important. And it is, it's that connection, it's that meaning in life, that deeper meaning, that deeper sense of purpose. It's not about what car you drive or what house you live in or what job you have, you know, And, and there was a time when I thought that was the case. I mean, I, you know, I got, I had a higher education and I, all these certifications in the financial investment world and, you know, working in this big fancy office. And, you know, I look at it now and I I laugh and I I just think it's, it's all so unimportant compared to this right here, what we're doing right now, this connection is that's what life is about. And that's what makes life so incredible and beautiful. And I just, it's so amazing that you and I, get to do this. Now we get to have these incredible conversations with incredible people and make these great connections and help other people to, um, to feel inspired and to feel like they're not alone. And it's just, it's just a, such a gift, such a, such a gift. Yeah, that is so true. And, and like you said, those things are not important. However, we need to experience them to understand that they're not important. So that's, that's the thing that looking back, if you hadn't had that experience, you might not have learned that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all, it's all learning. It's all growth and it all brings us to where we are today. Yeah, that's it. Before we get into, you know, how we can find you and what you're up to, I just want to ask you one question because this is the chronically courageous. So what does courage mean to you, Viralee? Yeah, courage for me is feeling the fear and stepping into it anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you've certainly done that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that sounds very simple. It's it's not always that simple. Right, right. So, but if you know where you want to go, if you know what you're trying to achieve, and these days for me, that is connection, inspiration, empowerment. I mean, that really does cover it all. Yeah, yeah. Then it's it's not easier to take those steps, but when you've got that purpose and reason why, well, that allows you to, to step into that fear That's right. and do it anyway. Yeah. Gives you a little, little extra courage for sure. When you, when you have a yeah. bigger purpose, that's, that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. I think we've both found ours. So it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It's great to be on this journey with you for sure. Definitely buddy. So Vera Lee, um, can you tell people a little bit about your podcast and your movement and where they can find both? Yes, for sure. So the Why Me movement is all about helping people find their advantage through their adversity. The Why Me podcast is where I interview people from all across the world about their defining moments, about their Why Me moments. And then we talk about how they got there and how they've gotten through those moments. And just bringing stories that people can, again, relate to, understand that they're not alone and to find their own purpose so that they can step into that courage so that they can go you know what i went through that too 
and now I feel like I'm inspired to say I can do this I can take those little steps and get through I can go and speak to someone about this thing that I've gone through because I've just heard someone talking about it and so now that helps me to feel that courage to say yeah I can now hear what they've achieved after they've gone through that process so I'm going to step into that process myself and help myself along in my own healing and and journey and experience that we call life so people can contact me through whymemovement.com and also on social media at vera lee original wonderful and i'll put that up of course in the show notes so that people can find it more easily and thank you. Uh, yes, of course. So again, I just want to thank you. This has been a great conversation. I knew it would be. I was looking forward to it. And Me too. thank you so much for sharing more of your story. And we will definitely continue this, this journey and, and have more conversations in the future, I hope. We will. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Mwah. You're awesome. Thank you so much, Bonnie. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. It means the world to me that you took your time and energy to listen to this entire episode of The Chronically Courageous. If you know others that would benefit from listening, please share it with them. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player of choice. I welcome your feedback and questions. So please email me at bonnie at thechronicallycourageous.com. That's B-O-N-N-I at thechronicallycourageous.com. As always, I'm sending you so much love, happiness, and healing.